are the ancient of days, Lord. You are he who knows no time. You are eternal, God, and we praise you for that today. Can you give the Lord glory?
that we may have. Uh, therefore, Lord God, in response to this in advance, we open our hearts, we open our minds, Lord God, and we ask you that you would do a deep work in us, rooting out all those things that you don't like and, and lifting us up on the other hand. And Father, we know that you want to encourage us. We know that you do, Lord God, because we are your children. And you want to see us to grow in maturity as well. So, Father, you have your way in our midst today. We welcome your spirit to continue to do its work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What happens to your confidence, identity, or sense of purpose when you go through a tough spell in life? What happens to it all? The Cabo Street severely injured her knee in a skiing, skiing crash in 1998 at the Winter Olympics. Not being able to complete the contest, she was relegated to 20 months of recovery. During that time, she shut, her, shut herself in her bedroom. She didn't want any visitation from family, didn't want to see her friends, didn't take any phone calls, watched no television, but only sat in a darkened room for week after week after week. Another person, he was a high-flying founder of a new company, raking in lots and lots of money, and then suddenly he found himself homeless, spending 11 months in his car. He had a massive debt, practically bankrupt, and had to stop eating meat. He said he lost about 15 to 20% of his muscle mass. He said his nice apartment that he once shown off, his fancy clothes, his social life, diet, working out, I can imagine at a health club, and even his sexuality, all of it, was gone. With everything stripped away from him, all he had was his car and himself. And some days he would say he would sit in a car with it raining outside and see the drip drip, drip of the raindrops. 
And he was faced with himself. And basically, he could hardly stand himself. One thing both of these people had in common was a life-altering struggle with a period of a loss of identity. So in other words, they thought that who they were was in what they did. You've heard this story from me before. The one athlete thought that who she was was the skier. And then now that she has had blown out her knee and she could no longer ski, uh, she didn't know who she was. This gentleman thought he was this owner of this great up-and-coming corporation, he thought. And with it all stripped away, he didn't know who he was. My question for you today is simply that. If your job was stripped away from you, if that hobby that you love so much was taken away, who are you? Who are you really? For these individuals, Plunge them into deep depression because the handles that they held on to, those things that uh, propped them up in life, uh, they finally figured out that they were made of paper. And when the paper of life gets wet, you know what happens to paper. There's nothing to hold on to. While you may not have had life-challenging struggles like these people, if you are a person living life, one thing that I know that you have gone through or will go through or just came out of a struggle so tough that sometimes it, it challenges you to your very core. Who are you? As we continue in this series today in 1 Peter, we will be challenged to reconnect with the Lord. And in doing so, reminded of who we are in Christ. Brothers and sisters, you are, I am, we are more than what we do. I was reading a passage in a book that I'm currently making my way through not realizing this, that some pastors even struggle with this same idea. Because some pastors, uh, even uh, people, uh, they, they call them pastor. And pastor is a title of a job description and not who they are. And it's very difficult for a pastor to, uh, to, to kind of rip away because uh, we kind of live this life 24-7. But for some, it's a struggle. And for some pastors, if they plunge everything that they are into doing the work of the ministry, they, we can even lose who we are. Preachers, folks just like you are. And we must be careful as well. So this was a hugely important subject for uh, the individuals, the Christians that, that Peter had addressed this book to. You recall from uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, when he says, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. Remember that, how they had been run out of town, away from family and friends. So they were struggling to find themselves. Even trying to, to regain that connection with Christ 
that they thought they had. They thought they were being victorious in Christ because they had it all together, but now they were run out of town. So this message is hugely impactful for us as we face challenges that can overwhelm us to the point of causing anxiety, worry, or even concern about the decisions that we make, and even second-guessing our faith, the bedrock of who we're supposed to be in Christ. Please turn with me to 1 Peter, Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. Read through this passage. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Uh, so the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Verse 4. Make it a habit to continuously seek the Lord. Make this your habit, to continuously seek the Lord. Uh, the place that we all want to be consistently, constantly, habitually, is in the presence of God. First phrase says, as you come to Him. And again, as you know, oftentimes within the original language, it's very difficult to discern uh, some of the nuances that the writer may put in there. But here, Peter, he writes, as you come to him, that there's a sense of action that is not just action that happens, but it is an action that happens over and over and over and over and over again. So it says that as you come to him, uh, Peter is saying as you come to him now, as you will come to him a minute from now, as you will come to him five minutes, one hour, one day, one week, one month, one year, ten years, for him you must, we must continuously, habitually come before the Lord, without interruption. This is that spiritual practice that we must continuously do because when we don't habitually come to God, we lose a sense of the work that the Spirit is doing in us, don't we? You know what happens when you are not uh, engage in the Lord. Uh, oftentimes we feel further and further away from God. It creeps up on us. And it's not that the Spirit stops doing His work in us, but instead we develop a coldness to Him uh, due to becoming more alive to the world and less sensitive to God. Do you see that? Uh, we become more alive to the world and less sensitive to God when we stop habitually praying, when we stop habitually, continuously reading God's Word. Uh, all of a sudden we begin to develop a coldness, a distance between us and the Lord. The less time we spend with the Spirit, the less we experience the sensitivity 
of his leadings. Remember uh, that there were times that you can really sense that God is talking to you. Have you ever experienced that before? And if you haven't, I, I want to get you to know Jesus Christ. That there are times that you can sense the Spirit of God speaking to you. My wife and I, we were in the store, I, I think it was last week, and we were checking out of the store, and I had paid for the stuff that I paid for, and I was about to grab my, my bags, and I just sensed something just says, you know, pay for the person's goods behind you. I just said, okay. That's all I said. I said, okay. I just said, well, what about, what? I didn't even know what they had. I had no idea what they had. I just trusted God. That obviously, uh, the Spirit knew better than me. So I said, okay, Lord, that's exactly what I'm going to do. So I, I paid for those things. And my wife said, that's fascinating. I said, what's so fascinating about that? She says, because I was going to say, let's pay for that person's goods. See, the Spirit had a backup plan. The Spirit said, well, okay, if he doesn't do it, then I'm going to tell her to do it. But the thing is, if we want the Spirit to work in and through us, we don't want the Spirit to work in someone else when he's called us to do a thing. Amen? You know, so uh, don't be so quick to ignore the, the move of the Holy Spirit. Amen? It may be someone that you know. It may be someone that you don't know. As a matter of fact, I was, just, I was trying to think now how much did their things cost. I can't even remember how much it even cost. I can't even remember right now. So it's not, you know, uh, again, I'm not saying this to make me look good. I'm saying all this to make God look good. That's all. Because he knew the need, obviously, the need that they had. So what do you do when the Spirit of God prompts you? Do you ignore it? So what happens is, when you ignore the promptings of the Spirit of God, when you resist the Spirit of God, that oftentimes uh, what, what happens over time is he stopped talking to you. Because he says, they're not going to listen to me anyway. I've tried once and twice, ten times, twenty times, and they're stopped listening to me. It's not about money. It's about, it's about having a warmth to the Spirit of God and embracing all that the living God, uh, can you say living God? living God? That the living God is doing in and through our life. God tells you to do something, do it. He may have more blessings for you down the line. So we repeatedly come to the Lord because he is good and have, uh, we have experienced his answered prayers and presence, especially when we were distraught. James chapter 4 verse 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. I know some people, they read that, that passage, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Some people read that and says, you take one step, and God will take two steps. Right? That's bad theology. So if you have been saying that, please don't say that. Draw near to God. Uh, God... Uh, is saying draw near to God because God has already desired us to draw near to him. Amen? He's already made the first move. So when it says for us to draw near to God, we are making the next move, not God. But when we do draw near to him, he's again responding to us by drawing closer to us. So here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. As a living stone, Jesus was rejected by people, but totally acceptable by, by God in every single way. Uh, look at this, Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 18. Luke chapter 23, verse 18. But they all cried out together, Away with this man, and release to us Barabbas. 
A man who has been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, Crucify! Crucify him! A third time he said to them, uh, uh, that Pilate said to the people, Why? What evil has he done? I have found him uh, in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore uh, punish him, punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. Over and over again, their voices insisted Jesus be done away with. And if you're familiar with the story, you know that uh, the people were heavily influenced by the leaders of their day. That it was the leaders who had egged them on in the first place. The people didn't know anything about what was going on. It was the leaders. So that tells us that just because we have leaders, that doesn't mean that we should all, all obey them. So say amen. Because if they're doing corrupt things, you should not follow them. Amen. You should run and you should run fast. Nevertheless, the people rejected Jesus as Messiah because they were looking for a political leader and not a spiritual one. They couldn't comprehend that political relief would happen if they would only seek God first. Uh, Jesus says, uh, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and these other things will be added to you. So if you want political Relief, the first thing we need is to seek first God and his kingdom. So our message today began by saying, as you come to him, as we habitually come to him, uh, this delivers an intimacy of relationship with Christ. As believers, we should continuously draw near to the Lord. And in so doing, we begin to feel uh, the, the nearness of God, the closeness that we so desire from the God that we say is alive, that Jesus is alive. And that's why I've always wondered, why is it that Protestants, uh, uh, when they have a cross, that the cross is empty? The cross is empty because we believe that Jesus is no longer on the cross. Amen? It's no longer there. So, uh, here in verse 4, we must not miss this important inference in this passage about living stones. Verse 4, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Verse 5, you yourselves like living stones, he says. So if we are also like living stones, if we are like the living stone of Jesus Christ, that means that as living stones, we will also be rejected as Jesus Christ was rejected. In our news, we have heard the negative information about, uh, again, our political and corporate leaders who have said or done some pretty mean-spirited things. And in response, uh, that people who hear uh, this vitriol, that uh, they not only want to reject the leader, but they also want to reject all those who are associated with that leader. Not only do we not want you, but we don't want your assistant, we don't want your secretary, because we believe everyone that surrounds you, all of you guys are tracking on the same track. So therefore, we reject all of you. We as believers, we're so quick to grab hold of all the positive aspects of our faith. Amen? You know, uh, that sometimes that uh, we only want to heap up uh, teachers and preachers and, and, and folks who only tell us good things. You know, you tell me good things and I want to go to your church. Uh, don't uh, ever tell me about sin. Never tell me about what I've done wrong. 
but you just encouraged me. You got a word for me? What kind of word you got? Right? What kind of word that you got to encourage me? And sometimes they don't want to hear it when you have that, that hard word. Amen? Sometimes God delivers a hard word. But for us, as believers, we know because we are associated with Christ and because as the living stone that he was rejected, know that you also may be rejected by men. They may not like you. John chapter 15, verse 19. John 15, verse 19. Jesus says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. I know I've been speaking to our college-bound students quite a bit recently. no exception here. One of my experiences when I was in college, not just my first year, but my entire time working on my undergrad, there are always people egging you on to do things you know you have no business doing. See? And then, when you don't do it, they want to exclude you. And for some people, when they exclude you, you feel so bad that you go ahead and do it anyway. Because you just want to be accepted. I told a story before how I had a, a really good friend of mine who happens to be a preacher now of all things uh, that in college that he wanted me to, to join a frat. But as you can imagine, you know, I had a mind of my own as I Recall how, uh, how my mother used to talk about me. So you just have a mind of your own. Uh, somebody tell you to go right, you're just going to go left just because you can, can't you? I'm like, no. I, I'm just, she said, yes, she will. Yes, she will. So my friend wanted me to, to join this frat with him. So I, I, I went on an initial interview, and, uh, and I wanted to know, what did I have to do to join the club? Like, nobody asked. I said, yeah, I want to know what I got to do to join the club. They said, well, you got to do all this stuff. I'm not going to name some of, the, some of the crazy things they wanted to do. I said, no, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen because somebody's going to end up getting hurt and all that. And here's a statement for you, and it ain't going to be me. Right? So I, I don't want any part of that. So my friend and I, uh, the close relationship that we had, all of a sudden we began to go apart. Not only him, but all those who are part of that group I was rejected totally. You have to know what you stand for and then stand for what you know. Because eventually, uh, the way I see it, you just keep watching. You watch and pray. Just watch and pray. Stand your, stand your spiritual ground, watch and pray, and eventually you will see what happens to individuals like that. Maybe not all. But I'm just saying, when they call you to do things you have no business doing, run and run fast. So I would say that if you have not been rejected because of your faith, I would say that that was the more stranger of the two things. If they have not rejected you because of your stands in Jesus Christ, uh, something is going on. Either you are uh, too much like them, And they accept you or something else is going on. But on the flip side of being rejected of men is that as a living stone, uh, you are a believer who are chosen and precious in the sight of God. Amen? You are chosen and precious in the sight of God. Uh, people can reject you all they want and call you any name in the book, and this may uh, create a very difficult journey for you sometimes. But in the end, it doesn't matter because they are not the ones that's responsible for your salvation. They are not the ones that have a heaven or a hell to send you in. What matters most is the name that God has given you 
and that he uh, places you uh, in a place according to his will and according to his promise. So people may reject you, but you are chosen and precious in God's eyes. When God looks at you, he says to himself, look, oh myself, right? Look at my beautiful daughter. God says, oh myself, we say, oh God, right? But God says to himself, oh myself, look at my son. They're beautiful. They're outstanding. And I'm proud to be their father. Why does he say this? It's not because of your good works, nor is it because of how you dress. It is because he looks at you, and when he looks at you, he sees the blood of Jesus Christ all over you. You are chosen. You are precious because you are in Christ Jesus who himself is chosen and special. Again, verses 4 and 5, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. So if, uh, if Jesus is the living stone and we are like living stones, uh, if Jesus is chosen and precious as the living stone, then as living stones, we are chosen and precious as well. Believers are chosen to be his people and not because of our works or what you will do for him, but because of his grace and his mercy. And again, never think it's because of your goodness, because it ain't. Believers are, are so precious to the Lord, like the precious stones you may have heard about in the Old Testament. Something that is precious, like a diamond or ruby, has great worth due to its intrinsic value and not its quantity. It, is, it deals with its quality. For instance, you may have a single dollar bill in your pocket and it may possess very little value. There's something that I just found out that's called a red diamond. A red diamond. Its value? One carat of a red diamond is one million dollars. One carat, I couldn't tell you what a carat is, maybe some of the ladies and some of the rocks they have on their, their hands, they can tell you how many carats their rocks are, I, I don't know. But one carat of a red diamond is one million dollars. They say that there are only 30 in the world, and most of them are under half a carat each. And they said the largest ever found is worth eight million dollars. It was five and a half carats. So if you can comprehend that in the eyes of God, uh, you are like this supreme red diamond uh, that uh, you have within your, yourself about uh, 10 million carats. So when Scripture identifies you as precious, it's saying that you are like that rare and precious red diamond which is a stone, but to God, you have more intrinsic value. So uh, we are also being built up as living stones. Verse 5, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The Word of God explicitly points its attention to you. You see here, it says, you yourself, the passage says, you yourself, uh, God wants you to know that you yourself, that you are this living stone, that you're being built up into the spiritual house, that you are a holy priesthood uh, to offer uh, spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Believers, we are also the body of Christ. So not only are we this spiritual house, we are also 
the body of Christ as well. Are we a spiritual house in terms of an actual building? And we know that in Christ, that we are not an actual building, that the body of Christ, the building of Christ, are us, that we are this living organism. We are his representatives. We are his feet. We are his arms, his legs, his heart in this world in, in a very tangible way. When people experience you, when people experience your love, your compassion, your care, they are experiencing Jesus Christ. This is why we are never to be vindictive, mean-spirited, unforgiving, or full of malice full of envy, deceit, slander, or hypocrisy. Those characteristics are inconsistent with the character of God. And sometimes it's better, I hate to say this, right? Uh, sometimes it's better to suffer hardship and injustice than to malign the name of Jesus Christ just because you were right and someone else was wrong and they were insisting that you were wrong. I hate to say that. I hate to say that, that sometimes it's better to let people treat you wrong than for you to get out of character because you know how you all are, right? Right? Soon somebody mess with you. You want to jump right at them, right? You want to tell them what they ain't, what they're not. You want to uh, tell them all about themselves. And some, uh, and some of you use words that are not so godly. Now all of a sudden, instead of knowing and, 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 and being the hands of Christ, people interact with us, they're seeing something else. And then the first thing they say, that's why I don't like Christians. But because, because we have this close alignment with Christ, we are his body. Verse 6. Be confident in Jesus, for it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. In Jesus is where we get our assurance. In Jesus, you never have to worry about being put to shame. And this is another benefit for those who are in Jesus Christ. So even though others may reject you, know that in Christ we have our confidence and we have no reason to be ashamed. In addition, as believers, we have honor. Verse 7. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This goes along with the idea of being precious and, and that believers who have honor have great worth and dignity. And that as a follower of Christ, you have great worth and great dignity. And so as you live your life, live your life with your head up and your shoulders back, knowing that you are connected with Jesus Christ. It's true that everyone has dignity in the sense that we were made, every person was made in the image of God. Uh, but uh, but uh, folks that don't know Christ uh, do not possess that next level of worth in the eyes of God as a believer does. For that, we thank Jesus Christ, who is the cornerstone, that cornerstone who was rejected by men not knowing that Jesus is the reason that the whole foundation holds together, that the whole house, that it stands firm and stable. So in Jesus Christ, we find our strength. Whatever you're going through, whatever you need to face tomorrow, know that in Jesus Christ, you will have your strength. Know that in Jesus Christ that you have it all together. If you're willing to follow him, those folks who want to belittle you, don't worry about them. Why? Because you stand on Jesus Christ. Remember, they don't have a heaven or a hell to place you in in the first place. So why should you listen to that dribble? Know who you are in Jesus Christ. I am who God says that I am. I am who God says that I am. I'm not going to say that I am somebody, even though you are somebody. 
but I am who God says that I am. Can you say that? I am who God says that I am. Say it again. I am who God says I am. That's who you are. He says you are chosen, that you are precious, that you are royal, that you are holy, that you are his people, and you're precious in the sight of God. Thank you, Lord. Don't worry about what everybody else is saying. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And you put on the full armor of God and let all those arrows that everybody is slinging at you, you just let them fall to the wayside. Amen? And then he says, the reason that you have purpose, the reason that you have an identity is because of this, in verse 9, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Yesterday I was challenged. I, I, I tell you uh, a, lot, a lot of challenges that I have. So I was, uh, uh, we, we had a performance, so I was, I was on break. And uh, most people know that I'm a, I'm a pastor. So one guy came up to me, he sat down at the, t- at the table, he says, tell me what you're preaching about tomorrow. And I looked at him and I, I asked myself, do I really want to spend my time telling him what I'm preaching about tomorrow? I really want to take my my break out explaining this to him. Then I said, okay. First thing I said, you know, I I was eating, right, when he asked me that too. So so I I stopped eating, right? I said, this is what it's about. Then he started talking. I said, wait a minute. You can't talk while I'm telling you about what I'm going to preach about tomorrow. So it, it was a challenge for me because I had five minutes, five minutes to explain what it's taking me 40, 45 minutes to explain to you. Once he got quiet, when he finished, he began saying, well, I didn't know all of this. I didn't know that. He says, really? Is this true? He just kept saying this. He says he's a Christian, but, uh, but nevertheless, uh, he heard the message. And, and, but I'm saying that to say that regardless of where you are, that there are hungry people that they need to know the word of God, be they Christians or not Christians, that there are folks all over the place if we're sensitive enough. Again, I, I, I need to just let you know because I, I bring myself up as an example because I know myself better than I know anyone else. I'm not saying this uh, to, to, to put myself on a pedestal to say I'm better than you are. The conversations that I have are some of the same conversations that you can have with other people as well. Someone may come to you and ask you, what did you learn at church yesterday? Could you tell them? Could you tell them? Tell me one thing that you learned at church yesterday and how it can encourage you and how it can encourage me. One thing. Who are you in Christ? So your purpose is to declare the excellencies of the Lord who called you out of deep darkness and into his marvelous light. Now, there is a reason why you are able to proclaim the Lord's excellency to the world. And again, it all has to do with what God has done for us, that Jesus has brought us out of darkness and into his light. We also find that in John chapter 5. Now we are God's people when at one time we were not This is why we can thank the Lord for all that we have and all that we are. Because by default, we were his enemies, but today we are not. As his enemies, we were aligned aligned to receive God's wrath, but instead we received his mercy. And for that, again, we say, thank you, God. So we can rightly know that in Christ, we have the confidence, the identity, And the purpose, which does not change or shift with the prevailing winds of the day, regardless of how you feel, regardless of your emotions, know that you have confidence, know that you have identity, know that you have purpose in Christ. Know this. Know who you are in Jesus Christ. And in that, you can walk in that confidence. And in that, you can thank the Lord. 
and tell people about the God that you serve with all truth and veracity. And for that, we say thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray.